Grab your Bibles real quick and go to Exodus chapter 12. Um, I am on part three of Exodus from slavery to Canaan. So Exodus chapter 12 and jump down to um, verse 12 of Exodus chapter 12. Let me read these two verses for you. And then we're going to back up and review from last week and kind of walk through the message that God would move and have his way. Exodus chapter 12, verse 12. I would love for as many of you as possible to get there if you can so we can read it together. If you're there, say amen. amen. Listen to what it says from the, the English standard, standard Version. It says it this way, For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborns in the land of Egypt, both, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, or I am Yahweh. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall, will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Look at verse 12 again. For I will pass through the land of Egypt... That night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am Yahweh. Turn to your neighbor real quick and say, neighbor, God will attack everything you set up in your life as a God so you can be released to serve him. Yeah, one more time. Ted said, neighbor. neighbor. Uh, I mean, say it like you mean. I want him to hear it. Said, neighbor. neighbor. God, will God will attack everything. You set up in your life as a God. So you can be released to serve him. Yeah, we're going to talk about the battle of the gods this morning as we kind of walk through this to go through what God is saying. And we just want to hear from God. So back all the way up to chapter 4. Uh, we ended chapter 3 last week, um, and most of you know by now that you could um, download, download the sermon notes on Bible.com. Uh, we've got a new thing going where every Sunday after service you can get a podcast of our message. So all you need to go to iTunes. This is good stuff, isn't it? Yeah, technology, boy. No more buying CDs. Go to iTunes and just search on Restoration Christian Fellowship. And download your little happy heart away. Matter of fact, you can subscribe. So just go ahead and click subscribe when you find it. And then the messages will automatically show up on your iPhone. It'll automatically show up on your iPad. It... Yeah, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Amen. Y'all better do it before I start charging. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's a free subscription for right now as we kind of get it out. Come on, show little Eddie some love. That little boy be... Yeah, show that boy some love, yeah. He is working it out, man. Our, our technical crew, they're working it out. Him and all those people that sit on cameras so faithfully. Monica, Marcia. Who are you down there? I don't know your name. Oh, that's John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just show them some love. These guys work hard to make service happen, and they don't get credit enough. Here's where we began the message last week. Let me just review so we can get to where we want to land today. Last week... 
we spoke about the fact that God will call you and he will reveal himself to you as we were looking at the story of Moses in the book of Exodus. Not only that, but then he will challenge you to go to those enslaving systems of your life to say to them, release me so that I can serve God. And then most importantly, he will empower us for the task. So as we looked at the book of Exodus last week, and we kind of began uh, in chapter 3, we noticed that Moses found himself on the backside of a mountain, namely Mount Horeb, just taking care of the sheep of his father-in-law, Jethro. And while Moses was there, he had this encounter with God where we saw that the bush, God lit a bush on fire, but the bush, the fire itself, did not consume the bush. And if you were here last week, you found out that the technical or the theological phrase that's used for that is what's called a, theoph a theophany or a theophanic experience with God. And all that meant is that the design of the bush being on fire was not to burn the bush, but God showed up in the blazing bush to attract Moses' attention such that when Moses got to the bush, he can hear the voice of God. Now, the connection with that is that I found it, I wanted us to really understand that a lot of times God will cause us to go through crises and calamities and difficulties and hardship in our lives. And the reason that he will do that is to get your attention to draw you to a relationship with him so you can finally hear his voice. Don't you find it amazing that it's, it seems like it's at the lowest or the worst points in our life that we have a desire and a press to want to get to God? Come on, am I only, the only person in here? Come on, y'all, let's say, if that's you, come on. I mean, that, 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 that bankruptcy or that divorce or the loss of a job or a sickness or a death or, or the car accident or something crazy happening in our life, that's the theophanic encounter that God will draw us close to him to say, hey, I need to use you. I want to call you to do what I want you to, to do. Not only that, but when God calls you, the important things that he wants us to do, and I want you all to hear where I'm, how I'm walking through this, is that as he comes, he'll say to you, take off your shoes because you're standing now in holy ground. And the importance of the shoes being removed, the symbolism in that is that the shoes is symbolic of, of all the things that we track while we're working and um, walking on the earth, the, the filth, the mud, the feces, all of that stuff. And as we get nearer to the presence of God, listen to what I'm saying, there's some things we need to do to really experience God. Come on, say amen. And the importance of holy ground, don't make the mistake of thinking that holy ground is restricted to only a particular location. Um, here's how we see it. We think, I must come to church to be on holy ground. But holy ground can be categorized as anywhere God is where you encounter him, that is holy ground. Now, for those of you that weren't here last week, if you know God as personal Lord and Savior, you do know that he lives in you. So it, it, it seems to say to me that inside me should be holy ground. I wish I had two witnesses in here. If God dwells with me, and if God dwells with me, it seems that anywhere I show up, God is. 
And if I show up anywhere where God is, by virtue of the fact that I show up, it seems like that place automatically becomes holy ground. So I ought to be careful with the type of shoes that I'm wearing because I'm always in the presence of God. Come on, is this making sense? He'll call you, he'll reveal himself to you, and then he'll say to you, go to Pharaoh to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, not for the mere pleasure of being released, but that they may serve him, that they may serve him. I'm going to deal with that word serve in the Hebrew a little later on in the series. But service of God means that he wants us released. Let me just give you this much. In Egypt, service was making bricks out of straw. In Canaan, service is completely different. And God wants us out of Egypt so we can get to Canaan to serve him. And that's the purpose of the release so we can go to God. Now, the part that, that, that really excited me about the message last week is this dialogue that arose between Moses and God. Now, here is how Moses said it to God, and I'm just reviewing so we can get to where I want to talk about this morning, the issue of the battle of the gods. Moses, when God says to him, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go, here is Moses' opening question to God. Hey, God, whom shall I say sent me? And then he uses this interesting phrase, what is your name? And the thing that I want us to understand about the importance of the question that Moses was asking God is that Moses, God had already previously in verse 11 of chapter 3 said to Moses, I am the God of Abraham, I am the God of Isaac, and I am the God of Jacob. And if you know anything about Moses' background, his family line, he came from Hebrew descent. So he knew God to be the God of Abraham, and he knew God to be the God of Isaac, and he knew God to be the God of Jacob. So for Moses, the issue was not so much nomenclature. In other words, what, what word do I attach to your name, or how do I summarize the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Moses had a completely different issue with God. And so here's what he's saying to God, for lack of a better term, God... Here's the problem I have with what you're asking me to do. I grew up in Egypt. And Egypt is not a monotheistic nation. And what he meant by that is that in the past, God, when you dealt with Abraham, when you dealt with Isaac, and when you dealt with Jacob, you were one God who dealt with one people. And you're going to see something in a little while in the message. And the battles and the wars and the victory that you gave to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and their descendants are completely different from what I have to do in Egypt and what you're sending me to do. Here's what he's trying to get him to understand. God, you, you, you might not understand this. I know you're God. I know all of that. But, but there's only one of you. And in Egypt, there's a whole lot of them. <laughs> come on, come on. I grew up there and I saw what happens in Egypt and I saw the pantheon of deities or the many gods that exist in, in Egypt. Matter of fact, there's a god for the sun and a god for, the, for fertility and there's all these gods going on. When I go to Egypt, they're going to ask me, which one are you? Matter of fact, 
when I go to the Israelites to tell them the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent me, more importantly, they're going to ask me, what can God do for us? So the question, what is your name, has more to do with, God, what ability do you have to do what you say you're going to do? Come on, say amen if y'all with me this morning. Matter of fact, God, here's Moses still talking. I looked at your bio sketch, and there's nothing in there so far since the creation of time to say that you have the ability to defeat Egypt. Because the Israelites are going to say, if you had that kind of power, we would not have been in, in, in bondage for 400 years. Oh, don't look at me funny, because some of you all are asking the same question. God, if you had that kind of ability, I wouldn't have gone through what I went through. God, if you had that kind of ability, I wouldn't be in this predicament that I'm in. If you had that kind of ability, I wouldn't be in this slavery circumstance that I am in. So, God, who are you? What can you do? What's your ability? And I love, I love God's response. God said to Moses, grammatically in Hebrew, I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. In other words, it's, it's, it's what I call the first person common of the Cal imperfect, meaning that God is always being. That's good stuff. Always being. <laughs> there's not a start and there's not an end to him. It's not that he becomes, he always is. You got to get that. So Moses, I know you don't know nothing about that. All you know me is as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But like I said last week, I didn't start, so I have nowhere to come from. I have nowhere to go because I'm already everywhere. Words like start, stop, and finish has no reference with me. You just say I am has sent you. Very, very important stuff as we kind of go forth. And then so Moses takes that and, and so God now him and Moses are engaged in this dialogue. And go to chapter 4. Go over to chapter 4 with me. And, and, and let me talk through this a little bit with you so you can see what's happening here. Look, 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 look at verse 1. And this is important contextual information for you to lock into what God is trying to get Moses to do. If you're at verse 1 of chapter 4, say amen. Verse 1 says from the ESV, then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear or Yahweh did not appear to you. Now, church, you need to know what Moses is saying to God. What Moses is saying to God, up until this point in time, in history, God, you have been Yahweh Elohim, the God to be worshipped. Matter of fact, there's nothing to show that you have ability to do what the Egyptians' God can do. Important data. We just come to your mountain and we build an altar there and we worship you. 
When we are in battle, you have a way of delivering us from battle so we know you can fight battles. But we see magic happening in Egypt. We see all this crazy stuff going on in Egypt. If I go to the people and say to them, you have a certain power they have never seen, they won't believe me. How do I make them believe me? And listen to God. Okay, Moses, let me show you something. Here's the side of me you've never seen. What's that in your hand? Come on, y'all, y'all know the story. Y'all know the story. What's, what's that in your hand? This is going to be very, very important in a couple of weeks. Drop it on the ground. Moses drops the staff on the ground, and it turns what? And what does Moses do? He runs from it, and he says, wow, you can do like they do in Egypt. I've seen that in Egypt. I want y'all to track with me. You do have powers like they do. And he's afraid of it. And God says to Moses, let me show you something what they can't do. <laughs> Grab it by the tail. So he grabs it by the tail. Oh, wow. I haven't seen this one in Egypt yet. And it turns back to a staff. Y'all track with me. Track with me. He's showing Moses something. And Moses says, dang, God, that's, that's good. I didn't know you can do that. I thought you were only a worshiping God. Somebody going to get this. Okay, Moses, let me show you something else. Go ahead and stick your hand in your bosom, and he sticks it in there. And he pulls it. Oh, man. Dang. Man, I've seen this in Egypt, too. Let me show you something you haven't seen, Moses. Go ahead and put it back in. Take it out again. And his hand was made whole. He is setting Moses up to realize that truly he is the I am that I am because in Egypt they can do, but only God can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he, he, he's setting them up. He's setting up. He said, and so Moses says, well, God, if I do those two things and they still say, so what? Then listen to what God says. You got a cup of water. Go ahead and pour it on the ground, pour it on the ground, pour it on the ground. And it's going to turn into blood. He poured it on the ground and sure enough, y'all know the story quite well. What's happening is God is showing Moses his ability before he even releases Moses to go to those enslaving systems that has the people, the children of Israel in bondage so they can be released to serve him. Come on, do I have anybody in here? Now, now y'all need to know that because, see, the problem with a lot of us is that we don't know God like that. A whole lot of us only know him as a Sunday morning. Let me, let me leave that alone. <laughs> so God empowers him and he says to him, I'm just giving you context before I get to the message. Go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. Now go to chapter 5. Let me jump ahead real quick. Go to chapter 5. Let me show you this real quick so we can kind of walk with me. Jump over to chapter 5, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Verse 1 says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus said the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go that they may hold a fast for me in the wilderness. Look, a feast, thank you, a feast for me, thank you all, in the wilderness. 
Verse 2, look at what Pharaoh says. But Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh or the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh. And moreover, I'm adding to the text, I'm in charge. I'm not going to let the people go. This is deep. Critical background information. Moses has just saw what God can do. So he has a secret. He goes to Pharaoh and he says to him, Pharaoh, Yahweh says, let God's people go that they may serve me. Now, you need to know information. I, I wish all of you were here on last week because you would have understood that when Moses approaches Pharaoh, and at this point in time, Egypt is a world power. It is the world-dominating empire. And he says to Pharaoh, hey, God says, let my people go. Listen to Pharaoh in his thought process. I must be missing something. Last I checked. I'm God. <laughs> and to prove, Moses, that I am God, I'm running the world. Oh, y'all, come on, y'all. And, and all the other deities that exist in the world, they, they are subject to me, and they do what I say do because Egypt is the world power, and in Egypt, the Pharaoh himself is categorized as a deity. So you got a God that's telling me to let your people go, and I've got your people serving me. What kind of God is this you serve again? <laughs> so who is he? Never heard of him, never heard of his name, because I think had he been greater than me, he would have released you all a long time ago. Come on, track with me this morning. Track with me this morning. I need to kind of work through this so he can get a feel with me. So Moses kind of tucks his tail, and he goes back to God, and he said, God, we got a problem. <laughs> Pharaoh's not listening. Pharaoh, it didn't work. I told him you sent me. And he didn't know you. Are you with me? Now go over to chapter 6. And I know I'm moving quick. I got to walk you through this really, 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 really quick. So you can kind of get a feel. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. You there? Amen. But Yahweh of the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out. And with a strong hand, he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But watch this. But by my name, I did not make myself known to them. Important statement. I'll talk about this. I will establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they are uh, so they lived as sojourners. And verse 5 goes on to talk about what God's going to do. Back up to verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as Yahweh Elohim, meaning the God to be worshipped, but by my name. Remember Moses' question, what is your name? He says, by my name, Yahweh or the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now let me say this to 
you all. I want y'all to hear me carefully. The reason a lot of us are stuck in the situations that we find ourselves stuck in is all we know God as is Yahweh Elohim, and we really don't know him by his name. I'll, I'll, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. I'm venturing to say if you knew him by his name, meaning what he can do, because you've had an encounter and or an experience with him, your relationship with him, with him would be completely different. Are you with me? The reason, the only reason some of us worship on Sunday morning is because we don't know who God really is. Come on, all we know him as the God to be worshipped, so we have an altar erected on 665, I mean, what's 156606 Avenue, and we come here to worship, and we have made the mistake of labeling this place the temple of God. But baby, let me tell you, God is bigger than the inside of a temple. Come on, come on, come on. God is greater than this place. This place has nothing to do with who God is. And if he had ever demonstrated himself to us differently, our lifestyles would be different. Hear me out. No God on the face of this earth would ever enslave us if we knew what God could do. Can I segue for a little while? The reason the homes have become some of our gods is because we don't know who God is. Come on, come on. The reason our jobs have become God to us is because we don't know who God is. The reason the addictive situation, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouses, whatever it is, have become God to us, and you'll see this in a little while, is because we don't know who God is. Because had we known who God is, we would never set up another God in his place and make the mistake of worshiping that thing. So today, we're going to have a battle of the gods. I wish I had somebody here. God's going to engage some things because whenever we set anything up that takes the place of God in our lives God's going to confront it so Moses it's almost as if God is saying my bad Abraham, Isaac and Jacob worship me they really hadn't seen me do nothing yet you got a point so excuse the grammar I'm fitting to show them what I can do Are you with me? If I can go post-Exodus, you will find it that when you study scripture, post-Exodus, exile, all that stuff, listen to how God is referred to in the minds of the enemies of the Israelites, the God who delivered them from Egypt. The God who does something. The God who fights for his people. Are you with me? So now God says to Moses, Moses, I need you now to go back to Pharaoh because I'm about to do some things to show him who I really am. And, 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 and at the, the interest of time, and we don't have to go into all of this, here's what you need to know this morning. Every plague that God launched on the country or the nation of Egypt was an attack against a particular God that Pharaoh had fooled himself into thinking was greater than God himself. Come on, come on, come on, come on. 
I mean, you've got to see Egypt, this, this great economic power, this great world power, this great sustaining thing by itself. And what does God do? God attacks the economic empire of that nation to say, if you think you are God, help yourself without me. I wish I had somebody in here because God is saying the same thing to us. If we think that thing we serve is God, let it help us and not God. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You wonder why post-Exodus, the moment he got them out of Egypt, he took Moses up on a mountain, and he says to him by way of those Ten Commandments, the first one, I am the Lord your God. Now that I show you what I can do, I'm a jealous God. Thou shalt have no other God before me. You shall not bow down to it. You shall not worship it. You shall not make any image in the form of any things on earth or things on heaven because I'm going to take care of it. And what I'm trying to get us to understand this morning. If we're going to get from Canaan, from slavery to Canaan, we must deal with the gods in our life that's competing with God for position. Moses goes and y'all know, y'all know the ten plagues. Come on, y'all know them. Um, for those that don't, I'll show you where they're at. We'll walk through scripture real quick. The whole issue of turning the Nile into blood. That's the life-giving system of the Egyptian empire. God attacked that, dealt with it, rendered them powerless. Are you with me? And, and here's how dumb Pharaoh is. Moses shows up and, 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 and he turns the water into blood and Pharaoh calls his musician, magicians and they show up and they turn the remaining water into blood and they just jacked stuff up and Moses stepped back and, 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 and Pharaoh says to his magicians, now you show them what we can do, fix it. And they're like, uh, <laughs> important information. And notice who has to fix it. He calls Moses, hey Moses, go on to that God of yours and let's see if he can fix it. Y'all know the story. Same thing with the frogs, right? Frogs come up all over the place. That's their god of fertility. He attacks that thing. Here's these dumb magicians. Oh, we can do that one too. And, 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 and they turn and they create more frogs. And, and then now Moses is alone. Now y'all fix it. And then they can't do it. And he has to go back to Moses. Okay, Moses, you got me on two of them. Go back to your god. And the only person that can fix, the only person can, come on, y'all know this, and the flies and the gnats, I don't need to go on and on, and the livestock, I don't want to talk about all of that. And come on, and, and, and the plague of flies and the plague of locusts and all that stuff and the darkness that came upon the land of Egypt, all of that was an attack on the varying gods of Egypt. But I find it interestingly, even in the midst of all of that, Pharaoh still did not let People take this principle away before I get to what I want to share with you this morning. Satan can replicate or imitate what God can do, but he can't fix it like God can. In case you're wondering why, it's against his nature to do good. So he can only create problems. Yeah. 
but he can't because there's nothing good. I wish I had somebody. <laughs> I want you all to hear my heart and I want you to hear my spirit this morning because I want to share some things with you. He can imitate, but he can't fix. So nine plagues, God attacks, listen to me carefully, all the gods that are subservient to Pharaoh himself. It wasn't until the 10th plague that God got Pharaoh's attention. I need you all to hear me carefully. I want to walk through this carefully with you because this is going to cause us to have to do some things. The death of the firstborn. Repeat after me. Say, the death of the firstborn. Let me say it differently. Say, my firstborn must die so God's firstborn can live. I want you all to hear that. Okay. Go with me, go with me to, where is it, chapter 4? Back up to chapter 4. Yeah, yeah. Chapter 4, verse 21. I want to share this with you. This is key, this is key. Say amen if you're there. Amen. Look at what 21 says. Prior to Moses even going to Egypt, 21. And the Lord says to Moses, when you go back to Egypt... See that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let people go. 22 is key. Okay. Um, um, you, you wonder, you wonder, you wonder. Let me just say this parenthetically. Why we get delivered from some things and then we go back into it again? why we come out of some things and we go back into it, why we could have a ma major struggle, whatever it is in our life, and all the little things seem to be dealt with, but the big thing, the root and the core of the thing still exists. That's God dealing with the little gods, but there's some big things that he's got to deal with. Now watch this real quick, 22. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my... Firstborn son. Read that again. Then you will say to Pharaoh, thus said the Lord, Israel is my, what? Firstborn son. And I say to you, I love this term, let my son go that he may serve me. Now, here's the threat. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I am going to kill your what? Now, people, let me say this to you, very, very important, very, very important. You need to understand with me that, that, that you and I that have accepted Christ in our life as personal Lord and Savior are God's firstborn. <laughs> you are God's heir apparent to the throne. Let me tell you what that means. That means, here's the Canaan shout real quick, that God did not create you to be in slavery to death. God did not create you to be in slavery to the addicting substances. God did not create us to be in slavery to the heartaches of life. God did not create us to be in slavery to all the things that has us burdened down. God did not create
create us to be in slavery to the cares and the struggles and the things of the world. We are children of God. I wish I had somebody in here. And just like God says the earth is his and the fullness of it, we were created to enjoy life the way God designed it to be created because we are descendants of Christ. Oh, you got to hear me this morning. You got to hear me. You got to hear me this morning. You got to hear me this morning. You are a child and a son of God. And most of you know biblical history. The firstborn is next in line for the inheritance. I don't know if you can handle this, but the firstborn is next in line to become king on the throne. So here's how Jesus said it while he was on earth. The things that you see me do... When I leave to go to my father, greater than these shall you do. Why? Because you're the firstborn. Listen to this. And I'm leaving you in charge. Oh, I wish I had somebody. I wish I had. I wish I had somebody in here. But because we don't know whose we are, we allow the pharaohs of this world to entrap us. The job of the enemy is to put the firstborn in bondage and dethrone them and never allow them to experience God by his name. He's cool if all you do is come to Sunday, go meeting and worship him. He's cool if you come every Sunday and sing your little kumbaya songs <laughs> and go back to slavery. Y'all, y'all miss. Don't fool yourselves into thinking that while in Goshen, the Israelites weren't worshiping, he, Pharaoh wasn't concerned about that as long as they remained in bondage. The problem surfaced when God came down and said, it's time to release them because they weren't created just for this thing. They're created to serve me because they are my firstborn son. Satan is okay as long as we go through life as usual. When you say to that situation or that circumstance, enough is enough, I am God's firstborn. Come on, 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 come on. When you say to that thing that has you in bondage, I am not that. I am more than that. Come on, is this making sense? Because I have the seed of God in me, and because of the seed of God that resides in me, listen to this, everything I give birth to, ought to be birthed out of the heart and image of Christ. The importance of the firstborn. Now, here's the problem. In slavery, the enemy will allow you to give birth to a firstborn as well. But it's not God's firstborn. It's his firstborn. Let me tell you how it looks like. The first time you took a hit, Go ahead and take the holy look off. <laughs> Satan deposited the firstborn in you. The first time you went to that gambling den, and it started out with a nickel, Satan deposited the firstborn in you. Nobody in here don't have this problem. 
But the first time you went to 7-Eleven, gave your dollar. He deposited the firstborn in you. Very, very important. Listen to this carefully. The first time you had premarital sex out of marriage, he deposited the firstborn in you. And watch it. Everything you give birth to after that looks like the firstborn. And, and here you are fighting the frog god, fighting the Nile god, fighting the fly god, fighting, you're not hearing me, the locust god, fighting livestock god. Come on, fighting the darkness god. Here's how darkness, I can't see my way through, I can't see out. You're fighting all that, and God is trying to get you to stop looking at those things because in those things, he still hardened Pharaoh's heart until the firstborn was dealt with. And a lot of us ignore the firstborn, and we go after the nine plagues. Why, 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 why? Because we can get wins with the nine plagues, and we keep the firstborn in reserve just in case. Are you with me? I will harden Pharaoh's heart and God does the same thing today and we're stuck in slavery and we can't get to Canaan because all we dealt with is the nine while we hang on to the firstborn. And God is saying to you and he's saying to me this morning, no, 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 no. I am designed to be the firstborn in you and you are my firstborn, not that thing that has you in bondage. Ah. Come on, are you hearing me this morning? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me this morning? And so he says to Pharaoh, Moses tell him, if you don't let my people go, I'm going to kill his firstborn. Does this make sense, guys? Because it was not till after the death of the firstborn that the people of God were released from slavery. If you want show enough release this morning, I'm going to challenge you to go back to Egypt and call the firstborn by name. <laughs> call the firstborn by name. Don't focus on Pharaoh. Focus on the firstborn. Because here's what we do. We look at Pharaoh and we ignore the firstborn. So Pharaoh dies, firstborn takes the throne, and he gives birth to another firstborn that's waiting for when he dies. And then when he dies, firstborn takes the throne, he gives birth to another firstborn. And here's how we deal with our problem. We look at the current and not the next in line. I wish I had somebody in here. Come on, y'all. Come on, come on, come on. I want y'all to hear me. Go past the current because the current will die. The thing that makes the current easier is the death of the succeeding.
dating thing. So here's how it plays itself out in those iniquitous cycles in our life. Let's say my grandfather has a problem with women and he doesn't deal with it. He gives birth to my father and the seed carries. My father has a problem with women and he doesn't deal with it. It transfers on to me. I have a problem with women and I don't deal with it. It grows to my grandchildren. Y'all not hearing me this morning. And my son, and it goes on and the iniquitous cycles begin. Deal with the firstborn. When you kill the firstborn, there's nobody else to get on the throne. Because once the firstborn is dead, guess who comes to life? God's first. And guess who's next for the throne? God. He comes on the throne next because you've dealt with the firstborn. And here's how he puts it once God takes the throne. A house divided against itself can't stand. And he says, nobody enters a person's house unless he first binds the strong man and takes care of him. So here's the depth of that. Here's the depth of this. A lot of us want to say, God, I give you the throne of my life, and we want God to do battle with Pharaoh, but we have the firstborn lingering to compete with God for the throne. Put God in the firstborn position. Then when he takes the throne, guess who's going to die? Pharaoh. So let me show y'all how. Let me show y'all how. Go, go to chapter 12 now. This is where we're going. And I'm going, I'm going to be done. Go to chapter 12. Let's, let's wrap this up. Exodus 12. And we're going to do something tonight. Jump down to verse 1. Let's walk through this carefully. You guys are there? Amen. Lord said, verse 1. I'm going to skip around. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of every month, every man shall take a lamb. Come on, say, get a lamb. lamb. Say it again, say, get a lamb. lamb. Look down, verse 5. Your lamb shall be uh, without blemish, a male, a year old, okay, Jump down to the end of six. The congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Verse seven. They shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the house in which they eat it. Verse 12. Look at that. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn of the land of Egypt both man and beast. And on all, look at the G, small G's. Ah. There's a word that's hidden there, and the word is this. You can bypass the nine plagues and go straight to the firstborn, and the nine plagues won't even happen. (laughs) Process. Until you deal with the firstborn, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. But if you deal with the firstborn, Pharaoh doesn't have a heart because his heart was vested in the firstborn. And that's going to be the thing that softened his heart. So if you like your nine plagues, keep the firstborn alive. If I'm you, I'm going to the gun shop and I'm taking care of the firstborn. (laughs) Are you with me? So watch this. I will pass through, verse 12 again, through the land of Egypt, and I'm done. 
And I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And look at this, I am Yahweh. And the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, verse 7, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Here's what I want to say to you, and here's how I want to end this message. If you've accepted Christ in your life as personal Lord and Savior, there's blood on the doorpost and there's blood on the lintel. And God wants to dispatch the death angel to kill the Egypt in you. Because that thing can't live because by virtue of the fact that you've got blood on the doorpost and blood on the lintel, and the sacrificial lamb has already died on Calvary, Jesus paid the price, listen to the word, to redeem or to ransom you. We need now to give him the name of the firstborn so he can kill it. Are you hearing me this morning? I'm going to talk candidly with you. My problem is I like my Egyptian firstborn. Because when I'm all by myself and you're not around, I can go to Egypt. Your problem is you like your Egyptian firstborn. So when nobody's around, you can go to Egypt and play with your firstborn. The problem with that is you've got blood on the doorpost and you've got blood on the lintel. And God is saying to Pharaoh of your life, let my people go that they may serve me. And the problem is not God and Pharaoh. The problem is you and God. Because you're telling him, leave my firstborn alone. Because you have blood on the doorpost and blood on the lintel, and he has already released the death angel to dispatch and to kill the firstborn in your life, but you're standing by the door saying, death angel, go ahead and go by. I got this. I got this. And he's not coming in to kill it because you are one of his. He knows you are firstborn and you're exercising certain spiritual authorities to keep you in slavery even though he's trying to release you. Are you hearing me this morning? And God wants us to get from slavery to Canaan, but we are going to have to go inside and leave the door open. Come on, death angel. Here's the firstborn. Kill it. So God's firstborn can reign in me. So here's what I want to do this morning. When you all came through that door, I'm hoping it happened. The ushers gave you a little piece of paper. They do that? I want every person in here to take a moment. We're going to end like this. Are we going to do something leading up to Lent with this? Don't write so fast. Think about the name of your firstborn. 
And, and, and let me, word of caution, you're in church, and there's people sitting next to you. And they're going to be, <laughs> word of caution, all right? If you need to move over a seat while you do this, move over a seat. <laughs> Just, I'm, I'm warning y'all, I know folk, okay? <laughs> but I'm going to challenge every person here to write the name of your firstborn on that paper. Give some examples. If it's homosexuality, write homosexuality. If it's drugs, write drugs. If it's marijuana, if it's adultery, if it's fornication, if it's masturbation, if it's a, whatever it is, write the name of your firstborn on that paper and fold it up. Ain't nobody's business. Because here's how we're going to pray as a church going forward for the month of March. For the death of every firstborn in here. Now, righteous people, let me caution you. Don't fool yourself into thinking you don't have one. Last I checked in Scripture, there is none righteous, no, not one. Scripture puts it this way. All of our righteousness are as filthy rags in the sight of God. If I'm honest with you, I have a firstborn. And I've been praying all morning, all yesterday about my firstborn. And I'm going to write it on a piece of paper, just like, matter of fact, give me a piece of paper. Let me have one of those, Betty. Yeah, thank you. Am I, am I taking yours or you got your own? Okay, good. All right. Yeah, okay. I'm going, I'm going to write mine. I'm going to write mine. And here's how we're going to end service. And when you come next week, you're going to see what we're going to do with these things. Take it. And just lay it at the altar. And we're going to begin. That's our symbolism to say, God, I open the door for you to come in and deal with the firstborn in my, in my life. Lord, as your word has gone forth this morning, touch hearts. We want to get from slavery to Canaan. Now you're sending us back to Pharaoh, God, the battle of the gods, and you want to engage that firstborn. We lay it at the altar. So we give it to you, God. 